You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about nutrition. Joining me is Bridget Garmisa, a pediatric nurse practitioner and registered dietitian also at CHOP. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Katie. So nutrition is one of the topics that doesn't get enough attention in medical education, in my opinion. So can you tell us how you came to learn about nutrition and how this knowledge prepared you for primary care? Sure. My undergraduate education is in nutrition. So my major was dietetics, and I did what's called a coordinated program, which the clinical hours associated with your dietetics exam are incorporated into the undergraduate curriculum. So after four years, I was eligible to sit for the registered dietitian exam. Some dietitians do a coordinated program. The more common route to practice is doing a four-year undergraduate degree in nutritional science and then doing a nine to 12-month internship. So there's two different avenues to get that education to sit for the dietetics boards. And then I was working, I kind of came to primary care. I was working at Children's National in their Adolescent Health Center, which is a primary care clinic in urban D.C. And a lot of my patients were asking for, I know you're the dietitian and we're doing nutrition counseling, but can you refill my medication? Can you refill my metformin? Can you sign my WIC forms? And I really worked with a lot of wonderful nurse practitioners there realized the value in expanding my clinical practice to be able to incorporate both. So here I am 10 years later, I've been at CHOP and using both nutrition and medical experience in primary care. That's great. And what a need to have both of those skill sets. So let's put them to use and address some of the (laughs) common nutrition questions and concerns we both hear in primary care. So First, many of our patients are described as picky eaters. So what tips do you offer parents to increase the variety of foods that their child eats when the parent says their child is really picky? The first thing I always want to talk about with parents is, is this kind of an age-appropriate pickiness? So it's, it's very, very normal for toddlers that are learning to eat to go on food jags and want nothing but one certain food for weeks at a time. So encouraging parents to look at big picture, you know, are we really picky or are we just developmentally appropriate picky? Mm -hmm. The other thing I always try and emphasize with parents who have picky eaters is keep mealtimes low stress. So it's the parent's job to offer the food variety that's on the plate and it's the child's choice of what they're going to eat. I also think an important component is parents need to be there with their child eating the food too. It's much more challenging to change picky eating habits if a child doesn't have that modeling happening. Yes, modeling is so important in so many things in pediatrics, but you're right. I always tell families to make sure that they're eating their vegetables if they want their child to be eating vegetables. 
So what are some of the biggest nutrition mistakes that you see families making? So I like to to reframe mistakes because I do think most parents and children are, are doing the best they can. And I think there's a lot of influences from schools, from society on what families eat. But I think the biggest challenge for families is having time to plan ahead. I think it's very important to take that time to look forward of what are we going to eat? Because I think the challenges happen when everybody's tired or they didn't plan a trip to the grocery store or they didn't plan what they're going to eat. And now it's the end of the day and everybody's hungry. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that families take that time to plan. And I also encourage families, look at the big picture across all the caregivers that are taking care of this child. This And this applies more to younger children. but. We know if there's three different caregivers throughout the day and everyone's thinking, oh, I'm just giving this child one cup of juice or I'm just giving this child one snack. Well, at the end of the day, if it's three different caregivers, there's three snacks. So being in communication with all the people that are caring for a child or all the different places that the child is, is important. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. It's a really important point to keep in mind what your child is eating when they're not with you. And as you mentioned, that's other caregivers. And I think even for older kids too, that's school. And so what does their school lunch or breakfast include so that you have an idea of what food groups they've hit throughout the day. And that helps you also be prepared for what you need to balance at home. So a lot of my teen patients skip breakfast. They usually tell me that they don't have time before school or they don't have a big appetite when they wake up. So how important is breakfast and what can I suggest for these teens that's maybe quick and easy? I always like to tell teenagers, this is such a common question with teenagers, (laughs) reframe what you think breakfast is. You know, breakfast doesn't have to be sitting down with, you know, scrambled eggs and toast and having the time to connect over a meal. I think breakfast is important. There's lots of good data showing school performance is tied to breakfast eating, um, better performance in school, better ability to concentrate. And in younger kids, there's behavioral implications as well. So hungry kids can't learn as easily. For teenagers, one of the important components of nutrition that most teens are lacking is calcium and vitamin D. So At the very least, I'm usually trying to get teenagers, can you at least have a glass of milk, whether that's cow's milk, soy milk, a milk alternative, something with calcium. Some kids say, I don't feel quite right when I wake up or I just don't have an appetite. So sometimes liquid goes over better than solids with teenagers in the morning. So that's one of the things that I try and sneak in there. The other thing is I always try and encourage portable foods. So Fruit is like the ultimate easy portable thing. Can you grab a banana? Can you grab an apple? And also, you know, I'd I'd rather have a teenager eat a slice of pizza with some calcium from the cheese on the way out the door than nothing at all. So reframe what breakfast is. Think, is there a leftover there that you'd rather have than, you know, a bowl of cereal or an egg sandwich? I love that suggestion. And I never thought about just a glass of milk. That's a great point to think about the liquids that they can consume in the morning that give them some of the nutrients that they need. So packing a healthy lunch can be really challenging. And it not only needs to be kid approved, but something that can hold up in a lunchbox. So what are some healthy lunches that are easy to pack? Great question. I think one of the challenges here is parents put a lot of pressure on themselves to provide, you know, something that's 
perfect or Pinterest worthy in school. And I think one of the things that I like to remind parents is the most important priority with lunch is replacing your child's nutrition. So they need they need a boost in the middle of the day for energy, for learning, for those after school activities. So that's the most important goal. Focus less on, I always encourage people, focus less on variety. If a kid wants to eat the same thing every day for lunch and it's a healthy, balanced choice, I'm okay with that. And work on variety and work on different things throughout the course of the day, whether that's breakfast, whether that's lunch, whether that's snacks. For a healthy lunch, if a parent's packing a lunch, what I look for is three to four different food groups, one of them being one of those calcium-rich choices. So things that are easy to pack in a lunchbox that have a calcium component would be a string cheese or one of the smoothie pouches, or if there's milk available at the school, that's a great option. And then picking, you know, incorporating the child into the choice and having them help pick what is your lunch today. So looking for two to three food groups. So I love sandwiches. I think they're easy. They're portable. They hold up relatively well. Same with fruits, same with baby carrots and cucumber slices. All of those things are kind of hard and stable and not too liquidy. So they don't kind of all mush together in a lunch bag. You know, the most important goal is getting nutrition into your child. And if it's the same thing every day for all week, that's okay with me. Work on the variety at breakfast and dinner. And take the pressure off yourselves. Parenting is hard. Getting a kid to eat is hard. And so they only have such a short time at lunch during school, which I find challenging for some kids. So take the pressure off. It's okay. Lunches can be simple and easy and repetitive. Right. And it doesn't have to look pretty for a picture. It just has to right. have the right <laughs> the right nutrients in it. So many of my patients use vending machines or corner stores for after-school snacks. The options there tend to be more processed foods. So when there's limited fresh food options available, what guidance can we give kids so that they can make healthier choices? This is a great question and a very common question in urban settings and in Philadelphia where I'm practicing, I always encourage my teenagers and older kids to kind of think about, well, what looks most like the original food? So one of the, my favorite snacks for kids um, from vending machines is nuts or trail mix or sunflower seeds. So those kind of look most like what you would find when they're grown in comparison to orange chips or blue sports drinks or something like that. So Ask older kids what looks like most like the original food and try and pick that. I also think canned options and shelf-stable options for produce are a great option. So for younger kids, the fruit cups that are in fruit juice are a great after-school snack or, and usually available in most corner stores and in you know local retail pharmacies. So I like I like those options as well. And if there's any nut allergic kids or or food allergy kids, one of the the safest choices that I choose for them would be kind of whole grain crackers or whole grain pretzels. Some carbohydrates that also has a little bit of fiber is also a great choice. What do you think about popcorn? I know a lot of these vending machines and corner stores do have a popcorn option, and some of them are a little bit healthier than others. Is that something that you would recommend, or do you think that's more in the processed food category? Uh, it depends if you can 
kind of evaluate how much butter is on there. I think popcorn can be a great option. It's whole grain. Mm-hmm. Um, it does provide some fiber and nutrition. Have to be careful about the choking with little ones. Mm-hmm. But popcorn absolutely can be a great option if it's not the super movie butter kind that you see the butter kind of pooling on the bottom of the container. Right. So kids who play after school sports are another challenge because they often need more of a robust snack for energy. So what are some good snack ideas for our athletes? One thing I always absolutely plug first with athletes is, are you drinking enough water throughout the day? Hydration is super important for these kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids don't like drinking throughout the day. They don't want to use the bathroom at school. And so they, they arrive to practice and they're already dehydrated and then kind of asking their body to perform. So making sure kids have a good water bottle or a good system for staying hydrated throughout the day is important. For snacks before practice, I tell them to focus on complex carbohydrate sources. So whole grain crackers with a little bit of protein or a little bit of fat. So whole grain crackers and peanut butter, maybe a apple with a piece of string cheese, something with a little staying power. Granola bars are another great option or, you know, energy bars where the sugar content is lower can be a good choice. I very, very rarely recommend sports drinks that contain sugar. Most kids, if they're exercising for less than 90 minutes, don't need that extra sugar boost. So I try and emphasize water and carbohydrates from real food over sugary sports drinks. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point because many people don't realize how much sugar there are in those sports drinks and they see them marketed as something that is geared towards athletes for hydration. But it's important, like you said, for them to hydrate with water and recognize that they might not need that extra sugar. True. Yeah. A 20-ounce bottle of a sports drink has just as much sugar as a 12-ounce can of soda. Mm -hmm. Um, So if the practice is only an hour, it's really, really not necessary. So we both know that many of our patients struggle with being overweight, and the pandemic has worsened this issue in many ways, but this is a very sensitive conversation. I know this is a big topic, but can you tell us a little bit about how you talk to children about making healthy meal choices? Sure. One of the things that I I try and emphasize the most is after I assess what the child is eating and get a good idea of what's going on in you know, how they get to and from school and where their meals are coming from. Always focus on what do we need more of? What do we need more of in this diet? What are some things that we can add in? And I think a lot of times if that's we need more fruit or we need more vegetables, those things take up room and those other things that we're trying to have less of. So less refined carbohydrates, less snacks and treats, those things kind of fall away if we're prioritizing What do we need here? And I usually frame it in the context of, as a family, how can you guys do this together? Because it's it's not one child doesn't choose everything with their diet and doesn't choose all the things that go into that extra weight gain. So how can the family together work on this? One of my favorite suggestions for families that are struggling with weight is looking at, you know, if it's a behavior that they've identified as something that they're really struggling with, for example, really trying to cut back on juice or really trying to cut back on soda. I often ask the parent, well, how much do you spend, do you think, on on soda or juice every month? And they'll they'll tell me a figure and I say, okay, well, 
you know, we know we need more water here. So what if instead of spending that money at the store, you kind of put a jar on the kitchen counter or somewhere where everybody can see it and you put the money that you would spend on that in the jar and then everybody in the family gets to choose what to do with that money at the end of the month, whether it's go to a special park, go see a movie, go do something together as a family. So I really try and take the pressure off of the child of like, what is the choice the child has to make and kind of have the family do it together in a way that focuses on what are we adding here rather than what we're taking away. I love that. I love the idea of this being something that's added and not this restriction that we sometimes focus on when we're talking about healthy eating or patients struggling with their weight. So it's we're coming from a place of abundance, right? We're talking about we're adding things to your family, adding fruits and vegetables and not telling you that you can't eat other things. So I like that. And you're setting up a reward with here's all the money you saved and let's do something fun with that. So who doesn't like that? <laughs> right. And money can be, you know, research shows money can be a very powerful motivator. So mm-hmm. a lot of families have had a lot of fun with that. And I bet a lot of families don't realize how much they actually are spending on some of these sugary beverages like soda and juice. And when you actually have to think about it, you realize how much you could be saving. Yes, agree. It can save a lot of money. Now, we talked about the importance of parents modeling healthy eating. And I often reassure parents that if they're setting up a good example for their child, that one day their child will also be a healthy eater, even if they aren't right now. And you talked about how there are some developmentally appropriate stages of picky eating. But do you have any go-to advice for these families who feel frustrated that their child is not eating healthy foods like they are? I do. A lot of parents really, really take day-to-day what's going on with their child as very strong predictors of, of what it's going to be in the big picture. So I always tell parents, well, look at this over the course of a few weeks or look at this over a course of a few months and how has your child changed in other ways, you know, over longer periods of time. So encouraging parents that this is, you know, this is a long haul. This is a, um, you know, a lifetime that you're setting your child up for. So it's not going to be fixed and there are going to be setbacks and there are going to be days where, you know, the only thing they're eating is macaroni and cheese. So I have parents focus on the big picture. And I also, one of my biggest pieces of advice for families is plan ahead. You know, nutrition really um, can fall by the wayside and convenience foods are so quick and so easy. And if a parent is tired and working a lot and you're picking up kids at the end of the day that are hungry and tired, it's so hard to make a healthy choice and make something appear quickly. So it, it really does take planning ahead. So a lot of my education is focused on, well, how can we help plan and how can we help put together what the week looks like or what the month looks like for you rather than the day-to-day? I love that. Look at the big picture and plan ahead, which is great advice. I never go to the grocery store hungry because I know I'll grab all of the junk food because it's what you want when you have a hungry brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you can have a little snack before you go, you're much more likely to pick out some of the healthy foods. And so to your point, it takes a little bit of preparation and thinking ahead, and that can really go a long way in helping your family make healthy choices when you are in those 
weeknights when everyone's got homework and sports and you've been working and everyone's tired, um, having those healthy foods ready at hand is a great strategy. I also want to encourage families. Nutrition can feel really confusing and there's so many avenues that families get information from. And registered dietitians really are the educated experts on how to help your family figure these things out. So it doesn't have to be a mystery. Most major insurance plans cover visits with registered dietitians. And there are robust outpatient nutrition departments, both at CHOP and other children's hospitals. So look for the registered dietitians in the community for parents that have further questions or, or want specific advice tailored to their children. That's a great resource for us to know about in primary care. And yes, we should be using our dietitians more often. And we've talked about neurotypical kids today, but we also know there are kids with different medical diagnoses or diagnoses like autism in particular that may lead to restricted and different diets. And so our dietitians can be a great resource too for families who are struggling with food restrictions for a number of different reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely encourage families to seek out that expertise. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. We are so lucky to have you in CHOP Primary Care, and we appreciate your talking to us today about nutrition. Thanks, Katie. This was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat. 